0: What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross-like music. And this is The Super of Show. I'm La Mali. This is Blue and Green Radio.
1: Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind, broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio.
0: You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and
2: Green
0: Sessions. Right, the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Cosmic Radio.
2: Radio. Twisted Soul. Futuristica
3: Radio. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say.
0: BlueandGreenRadio.com
3: Welcome friends, you're tuned in to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast My name is Imran, thank you very much for your time and company uh, For our wonderful show today Before we jump in, a quick reminder that the Blue in Green podcast Runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio The online internet radio station that broadcasts from London And hosts shows from across the whole wide world From uh, Japan, the States, Australia, Paris, um, and of course various parts of the UK as well so please check us out, we'd love your company uh, at blueingreenradio.com you'll find our radio stream broadcasting 24 hours a day, 7 days a week as well as the full backlist catalogue of our podcast episodes, so yes please check it out, blueingreenradio.com uh, as regards today's episode very excited about this episode, it's a really really great, um, it's, it's an excellent episode and one I personally feel kind of a long time coming I, I've, I've Clement and I uh, I've had uh, con- uh, contact sort of back and forth for actually quite a few years now. So uh, have to have the honour uh, of sort of spending some, some proper time with uh, the Wildcard uh, founder, uh, band leader and guitarist Clement Roger is uh, was it was a real pleasure, a real blessing. So I'm very very grateful for his time and company. Uh, Wildcard are a Hammond organ trio, um, and um, uh, obviously Clement Roger on uh, guitars uh, Andrew noble on organ and uh, the brilliant Sophie Alloway on drums as well so this is a it's a real powerhouse unit. Uh, been together over 10 years now uh, and the release of their brand new album Cabin 19 Fever uh, is absolutely cause for celebration it's a, been in the works now for a couple of years as you could probably deduce from the album's title it is heavily impacted and influenced by uh, COVID-19's uh, extensive quarantine sessions so uh, it's a brilliant document of that of that time period um, and we discuss we discussed quarantine life in general during our conversation today. We discussed kind of creating art uh, in and around those circumstances. We discussed the album. We discussed the album's numerous incredible contributors uh, as well. So um, it's, it's, it's a really, really great episode. And I very much hope you'll uh, you'll enjoy it uh, and uh, stick around Uh and of course, as regards the album, I definitely wanted to put out. Um, it, it is mentioned during the conversation uh, that you're about to hear as well. But Wildcard do have their their launch night at the prestigious uh, Royal Albert Hall Elgar Rooms, 26th of January 2023. Um, it's going to be a wonderful night of music and a brilliant kick off uh, to the album as well. So um, yeah, 26th January, uh, Royal Albert Hall Elgar Rooms. Uh, and uh, if you're UK based, London based, then you're absolutely going to want to see that. if it's the first First time you get to see a wildcard gig um, Regular listeners of our podcast know we feature two songs per episode The uh, closing song on each episode is selected by our guest So Clement will pick a wonderful song from the album uh, But I have the luxury of picking the opening number So I will of course turn my attention to Cabin 19 Fever And I will pick the brilliant, I can't ever, ever, ever be mad At a Georgie Porgie cover And there is a really excellent Latin-tinged version uh, Of the classic uh, record on, on Cabin 19 Fever Imani uh, on guest vocals uh, She does a wonderful job, it's such a cool song And uh, I thought a lovely way to kick off the episode today So uh, once again, thank you gang for tuning in and very much hope you enjoy uh, the episode As we introduce you formally to Clement Roger and the wonderful Wildcard
0: It's not your situation I just need contemplation It's just that I'm an addict for
3: firstly ha- happy new year to you and your family um uh, did you have managed to get a nice break over christmas and um and uh, you know new years and the festive break etc yeah yeah
1: that was fine like uh, we managed to actually uh, as you can hear from uh, from the accent i'm obviously french so yes. we this year we went back to uh, oh lovely yeah for, for christmas in paris and London. that was nice and uh, new year's was like you know a bit of work like new year's eve gig and um, yeah, it was always, it was quite relaxing. That was nice. So especially after the madness of November and the uh, first half of December, as it always is at that time yes. of the year. Uh, no, that's so all good and ready to start again, um, like a full on from Monday.
3: Amazing. So it doesn't sound like you had a huge amount of time off if you were already performing New Year's Eve and everything.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I have actually. This, this week has been uh, nothing. And um and the week in between Christmas and New, new Year's Eve there was nothing either so that's it's been quite, not nothing nothing but uh, quiet right. and uh, but yeah as I said like he's starting back like a full on yeah
3: and you say starting back I imagine there's there's quite a lot of work to do with the release of your wonderful new album obviously due out at the end of uh, this month um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you must yeah is is what is this part of the process like for you do you, well actually my my first question is um do you get nervous still? Uh, when you come to release new music or are you kind of just always excited for people to hear it or does the reaction does the the thought of how they'll respond to it does it still make you nervous at this stage
1: yeah i, th- I think any- <laughs> I mean, yes the, answer, the short answer is yes still uh, still nervous um but if you if you want an opinion i think everybody is tr- if everybody is trying to sound uh blase about like uh, releasing new music and saying like oh you know um, people like it or not. Yes, I, I find it extremely hard to believe. <laughs> yes, uh, obviously. I, I mean, I'm too old like, that to, you um you expect like some um, some as uh, you said some um, recogni- recognition from your from my parents, for example. But obviously, <laughs> if, you, if you put some music out there, you expect at least like um, a certain amount of people, including press, including your peers, and including more importantly, your audience to uh, to uh, to have um, to receive to receive it like in a in a positive way mm. because it's a lot of time it's um every artist whether it's music or i don't know painting anything anything which is like um in, in artistic fashion it's like you put a lot of yourself in it so yeah, yeah you ex- you expect at least people to, to check it out and at least not to dislike it yes even if you don't like it that much so yes absolutely yes
3: it's a difficult position i suppose to to find yourself in as an artist as you say because you know, you are compelled to create. And I think that many times goes hand in hand with wanting people to hear it or see it or read it. Um, and obviously that comes with an element of, of judgment and um, you have to leave yourself open to to what that reception is going to be, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's let's face it, like all performers, as you said, like uh, seeing it, reading it, and um, even eating it. I mean, even chefs yes, are... Yes, of course, like absolutely, that. yeah. Uh, it's creation and um what was it getting on with that yeah no, the, the the point is like, we we all plus or less egocentric uh not egomaniac but uh, we we all have quite a big ego to put yourself on a stage or to put yourself uh, in the studio to record your music mm. or your creation or your food or your book uh, you somehow have to um, think that you have something to offer and most of us do um but as long as you are in a safe space which is like a, in the creation mode and um and the space of like uh yeah just creating that's one thing but when you're in the other space which is putting the cap of the promoter putting it out there uh whether it's a cd new music or new uh, live show um then then it's you know you can you can have some some good surprise and some yeah. uh so i'm surprised shortly yes yes okay. you
3: made an interesting distinction between egocentric and egomaniac that's a very interesting thing to kind of or well, to differentiate between because i suppose me being in a situation where i get to talk to people like yourself um and uh, about art that you've created and it it can be very very interesting talking to someone who if, as regards the concept of ego and where it's a case of I create because it's in me and I have to, I'm compelled to do it. If I could remove myself from, from it in terms of, you know, it's not about me getting accolades per se. It's about, I have to create and I have to put it out. But, it, and sometimes people do that at great expense in terms of anxiety yeah. and nerves. And it's, it's always interesting the concept of how ego fits into that whole process.
1: No, absolutely. Like, and uh, yeah, we all have egos, especially yeah. when you're, when you're in the, as I said, like putting yourself on the limelight, mm. it's like you have to have an ego, and usually, if you do it, it's because you have one. There's nothing wrong with that. You just don't want it to to be um to be too big and to uh, get in the way of the process of um of um, creating a show, creating some music, getting on with other musicians, getting on with um with with the rest of the the, the people in the business. Because well, usually the the word goes fast when you have somebody who's like a as his or her ego like um
2: too
1: big yeah well it was really quickly very annoying so yes. yeah it's a balance like everything
3: yes and I, I think in many ways that sort of ties in to your your fantastic new album i love 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 the album title um i obviously have i i suspect uh cabin 19 fever is a reference to covid's quarantine kind of process is that right yeah.
2: Well, correct. It's you are right. it's a
3: great album title. Um, because it says so much. Obviously, you you kind of you date it in in terms of it. It was obviously during that COVID kind of process, cabin fever. That element of just being stuck indoors and not being able to get out. I mean, how how big a factor did did that impact the kind of the creation of the album? Certainly within its recording process, I imagine.
2: Um
1: massively. I mean, that's why, that's why I called it like that. Yeah. It's like like most. Um, like most, I mean, I know you spoke to you uh, to have quite a few musicians who, who were extremely active during that. Like like um, uh, like my friend Alex, Hitchcock, for mm. example or, or this, But like uh, most musicians have been um, really creative during that time. So have mm. I. But one wh- one thing that happened there was that um, that element at the beginning of like um. It's not, I don't know how to say that. It's, I don't want to fall into the category of like, uh, oh, you know, performing is my life. If I don't perform, I'm like, uh, well, right. if you don't perform in many occasions, you can't perform. It's really unpleasant. It's much better to be able to perform. It's not just that. It's like, um, it's also like I'm teaching a lot. Like, um, like on Monday, I'm starting back my, uh, my days teaching in school and private lessons. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, so I'm out all the time and, I'm a people's person i like people i like speaking to people i like uh, yeah i really like it and suddenly being s- stuck in door, so that was my partner and my two um my two teenagers and um yeah that was that that was really intense and the point is my um creativity once when we started what people started to do those um those uh homemade video and homemade recording with uh, with other musicians yeah. i did jump on the wagon i did a couple um with uh but the first one actually was cabin 19 fever that was the first one we did oh, uh, right. that was with uh, graham flowers Lil richardson which are like a regulars of uh, yes. um, the Wildcard lineup and obviously like um the other two uh out of three which are um which are sophia lowe on drums and uh, andrew Novole on Hammond organ yes. um so i did learn so lots of people um, maybe you are i'm sure you have uh, <laughs> but many people uh, have learned new skills during that time as right. well and one of them, one of them was that I've learned how to do some uh, decent videos with a, with a, with a, with a, um, how do you call that a, a software called uh, Adobe Premiere Pro, which is quite complex. Hmm. Uh, to, to this day, I think I'm still using about like five or six percent of the capability of the, right. the, the software. <laughs> yeah. mi- mixing as well. It's like uh, I've learned how to mix. Uh, I was not really bothered with that before, but mix on, um, on, a, on proper software and whatever. So we started to do one. We did one, which was kept in 19 Fever. And, I've done a couple of others. I think there was a Georgie Porgie after that, right. we done two, I think. And after that, I realized, I was like, oh, hold on. Everybody is at home like I am free, not touring. And I was like, let's call, <laughs> let's call the big fish, you know, like the big fish, the big fish in the, in the, in the big pond, the big pond, like across the, across the pond. and." um and guess what? Like, uh, the like of uh Marcus Strickland Amazing. or Maurice Brown or, yeah, exactly. Or Charlie Porter that I was, I was the trumpeter that I was listening to his album in the loop at the time. Um, yeah, for a, a very reasonable fee and, um, for basically they were all very up to, uh, to record some music. So we did record like, uh, some music with 14 guests. <laughs> so, so that's, yeah. So Kevin 19 Fever is really, really like, um, it's it's pretty much like a I won't say a lockdown album, but seven out of ten tracks have been recorded while in lockdown. So,
3: yeah. how much? Of, so, it was just the other three where you were with the uh, with Sophie and Andrew. Did you all record your parts separately as well?
1: Alors, for those um, for the ones who've been re- uh, recorded remotely, which is a fair amount, uh, we, we we recorded it remotely, which. Wow. Um, it has good thing and bad bits about it the, the bad bit is that obviously you can't replace like all being in a studio together and emulate yes. you know that kind of live energy on the other hand that means that i had to write differently and there are tunes. if i look at it like tunes like um i don't know <laughs> copycat more importantly like the, the one that's probably been the most successful like on radios like aleppo express like the writing is a bit more challenging not difficult it's not true but challenging and more it's, it's moving around a bit more because you don't have that um as i said that live um but emulation and uh, when you can just like uh, stay yes. on um, like a, a section and just uh, build it up until you think it's time to go on to the next one you actually have to write it down yeah um so all of that means that uh, yeah the writing process has been a bit different and uh, so it's not all the album we didn't record record all of it like separately but we did a few like when we were all in a separate um um, elements while recording, some in our lounge, some, uh, some in Black um, like Sophie was in a studio in the adjacent of a garden, but it, it was a different, um, different way to record. But we, at the end, I decided to record that which one are they? Olympus, um, Copycat and Twinies were three tracks recorded old fashioned in the studio at, uh, East coast mm. like uh, the one we've been doing our last uh, three albums. Uh, with a real amon organ, uh, all in a room, um, with Snowboy. And uh, that was that was good. So it's a mix. It's a mix of live take and, um, and like a more process, uh, pro- uh, not processed, it sounds like some food, but more, <laughs> more um, involved in yes. terms of production. Yeah, exactly.
3: It's really interesting though. Uh, I mean, the fact that it was written and recorded in that way because it adds to just Cabin 19 Fever being representative and a document of that time period. You know like life stories the way that that was put together written about you know people's life stories and that was you know that was it that constituted that album's creation for cabin 19 fever it wasn't just an album you thought of during that period and then all recorded together the fact that it was recorded completely differently to every other project you've worked on it adds to it in in many many ways i think
1: no, you're right. You're right, and uh, it's it, it's quite incremental, as I said. It's like at first we I didn't have the idea that I was gonna do an album with it. It's like suddenly I turn around and I'm like, oh, I have like I don't know six or eight tracks in the bag. I'm like, okay, let's do a, just a day session. We just did one day for the three tracks, and uh, and we have a whole album. But yeah, at first it was like a, it was not an album project. It came it came about like a, after a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like like the other albums, like Life Story, like uh, Beast From the East, um I do believe in stories, and every single track, every single one without exception, has, has a story behind. There's always an inspiration behind the behind, behind the tune, basically. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's um, so that that hasn't changed. There's still like that that element of like um, there's a story behind the tune, like the the concept of um, brainy music, which is like. Um, Having um a, writing a tune over an exercise or just over it's like now usually it's like um I'm I'm riding my I ride a motorbike and most of the time I'm riding a bike and I have an idea that comes up just stop on the side of the road sing it on my phone and come back home later right. and uh, and write write a tune about that usually but uh, it, it's a uh, it's usually an idea yeah that's, how from.
3: that's that's wonderful um and so, I mean you said like you reached out to. Yeah, you know the album has 14 guests i mean some really amazing names from the uk and the us as well i mean you uh, it was a brilliant idea to kind of reach out to the, the you know the overseas team that you did um but there's a wonderful uk contingent rosie turton uh, as well who's always fantastic binka golding as well were these people you connected with in the same way or did you happen to have um did you know them more from performing in london
1: in all fairness, all the UK ones, so like Binker, for example, uh, Binker is, is on the, the album launch, which is on the 26th of uh, January, that's a Thursday, um, at the Elgar Room in the Royal Battle. Mm-hmm. So Binker, uh, Trevor Myers, and Graham Flowers, for example, the one who are, um, who are on the, the three, uh, three uh, which one are the Olympus, and Twinies, and um, uh, Copycat, like the one we've done with the last session, Those basically all the UK guests are People have played with or play with regularly uh, with white card or other projects so i know them really well that's more like the american ones uh, that that um, like for example marcus strickland i've never met in the flesh to this mm. day um or Mo- maurice mobeta brown i mean i was supposed to meet him in new york when i was there but uh he's super busy so we didn't mm. uh, so those guys i've never met in the flesh actually so yeah right. now the uk one as you say, like the the uk contingents is uh, made of people who are like um, either regular or people have played with uh, with Wildcard or other outfits basically. Like Dennis Rollins as well we played many right. times. Yes, yes. Night, the same. Uh, Snowboy is a new one. It's not true. Um, Snowboy is one I reached out um, because I never played with him. I was, I was I tried to play with him before but same thing is hyper, hyper busy. We have a lot of friends in common so it was quite easy to uh, reach out but uh, he finally was free for that session. Uh, also Jim Knight. Yeah, we played together like forever. Uh, Rosie we played many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a let me think. Leo, Leo, something we played together like regularly. Leo Richardson. Um oh, there's another one. I oh, know Paul Booth as well. Paul Booth I played uh, as well a lot with. There's one I reached out in the UK. Um that's something we didn't play before that. Um it's um Carl van der Bosch, right. which is playing percussion on a uh, I-87. Right. The track I-87. Mm, yes. And uh, something I wanted to play with him. He was free for that one, so we did it. But most of the UK uh Players I knew from
3: before, yeah. Amazing. And, uh, regarding that kind of quarantine period, uh, obviously you you guys, you know, you perform a lot. You've got the the Ronnie Scott residency that you've you've had for some time as well. Like, what were your, you know, when you weren't able to perform, and you know, I think I think if I remember correctly, the first lockdown was was pitched as like two weeks or something like that, and then it became months and months and months. What was your your thought process during that time uh, outside of the album just in terms of like were you getting you know very concerned that you may never be able to perform again or you know what was your kind of thought
1: process how were you dealing with that well yeah, it's, it's a very good question i think it's a question it ask to anybody and everybody will have a different answer I, uh, my answer would be straight straight away my answer would be like there was a thought process at the beginning and then there was a thought process like a probably was the second or third lockdown. I think we had three in the UK if I remember. The beginning of the first uh, lockdown was like, like everybody else was, I was, I, I was never that um, worried about else per se. Uh, first of all, I, I caught COVID um, just before the first lockdown. Oh, uh, so and <laughs> that was quite, I mean, I was not in you know, hospital or incubator or anything yeah. like that, but it was, it was a weird one. It was like, um, it was not as bad as a flu, uh because of food like with you always 40 41 in bed and not moving for three days it was not as bad it was weird it lasted forever and there was two waves to it the breathing the wheezing breathing was weird mm-hmm. so my point is like i got it once just before and i knew i knew that uh, it was I mean, we all got it in the household because because you know we live in a flat so that's kind of, okay right out of the way the first thing was like how am i going to make a living um luckily as i said i teach and uh, quite quickly I organized like some teaching online right which I'm not a fan of at all, sure. but uh, for the time being, that was uh, that was perfect. Um, that's it. So and quickly after that is like um, you had to make your, you know, be busy with your day. I remember one of uh, the uh, only problem at, at the time was like, actually, I couldn't sleep. For the first time in my life, I was like, uh, I experienced what we call uh, insomnia because I was like at home all the time. And I was mm. <laughs> I was not tired at night and uh, I was getting up at four in the morning, like uh, eyes wide open. So I had to find some side project, including like recording uh I did a lot of teaching as I said um I started um I got involved with the with the venue in Seoul um uh, that was my side project basically and then after that there was the end of the the the, the, the lockdown which when it was like um that's when I, I wrote that tune, definitely maybe that's when the Christmas was cancelled. right the Christmas yes I was our beloved prime minister like a um everywhere like we will not console Christmas yeah. we will not console Christmas we will not console Christmas and he was like we will stop and block everybody at the frontier they will so they cancel Christmas and that was a definitely maybe like it's not gonna happen right. it's gonna it's <laughs> definitely not maybe not gonna happen we will see yes um so yeah so yeah that was basically the the mindset it's kind of like a, at first it's like a priority like how, how am I gonna make a living and after that it's a bit more like uh oh, what am I gonna do with myself and after that, it's like the well-being of everybody in the house. I will obviously like my children because for, t- you know what, if you think like, um, we had a, we had a hard one as, a, as adults. Uh, as I said, my two teenagers, which are now 13 and 16, so at the time they were like, um, they were like 11 and, uh, and 14.
2: Mm.
1: And one of them is, is like, like, like me, like really like outgoing and always out. A lot of, I mean, that was difficult for t- for teenagers. That was even worse. Can you imagine being stuck with your parents all the time at all? Yeah. And that's what the 19th fever is about. It- Kevin- Fever was inspired by uh, by my teenager daughter's like uh, being stuck with me and my dad jokes all day.
2: (laughs) I mean awful, honestly.
1: No. No, I'm sure that it was it was
3: a it was a a wonderful time for them. (laughs) As long as you don't ask them, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i
3: have uh two small children they are uh 11 and 6 now well eleven's not so small um but you know obviously it would have been a few years uh younger and to see them uh you know they obviously in different year groups so their mm. their school plans were like full day lesson plans that required them both to sit in front of computers all day long uh it yeah so i it was it was a horrible period uh for them uh, totally kids like um
1: like a- I could say like for example i was teaching both like junior and senior school and i i kept saying to people when they were asking me about that teaching the one i teach the kids the kids um, the people i was teaching were under under year six like under the age of 10. you could see literally the other one were annoyed like teenagers and they were hard for many reasons but the kids who were under the age of 10 there was a light after two or three weeks Mm -hmm was a light switched stuff in their eyes yes. I mean I don't notice it but because I thought it's so important to get out to, to play with your friends to kick yeah. a ball or to, I don't know to whatever you do with your friends but staying home like that it's it's insane. yeah that was insane. that was insane so as adults we have at least it might have been we we had people had depression we had issues there was money issues for most of, most people I was lucky because mm-hmm. I didn't come still but like for children like that I think it's like um, we that was awful that was absolutely terrible yeah terrible so I'm so glad we're out of it now
3: yes touch word we remain that way as well but it it is great i mean it's interesting the the, the impact something like that again and um, to bring us back to cabin 19 fever i mean again that's what makes the album a document of that period you know and it, it is indicative of 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 that time period and it impacted its its writing its creation I, I kind of i like albums that kind of resonate with something that everyone can relate to in that context so uh so yes congratulations and it's it's great it wasn't something that needed to be sidestepped or that you waited till that was over and said right clean slate let's look forward it was like no let's let's address this and and kind of work with it in in many ways so from all this horrible stuff something amazing can happen as well so congratulations i was gonna say, i'm a
1: positive uh, at arts and i think like out of any situation or almost Situation, something nice can come out of it, and um, that's one of the. That's not the only one, but that's one of the good things that came out of that. Um, that period, as I said, mm-hmm. like with all the, the new skills that people have learned, and um, yeah, new habits, and uh, yeah, that's. But mm-hmm. well, officially, lots of people have picked up the habit of drinking too much. That's not a good yes. one. Oh, no, It's oh, no. <laughs> like lots of good stuff. came, as I said, I get involved in like um, in promoting and um, and running jazz club as well, and uh, that's being on the other side of the the. the, the that industry that's mm. also extremely interesting uh no that's good stuff came out of it yes. but it was it was time to to to, to end it now yeah, for sure. absolutely
3: there was um i don't know if you remember you and i had a, a an email q a about uh four or so years ago maybe four or five years ago um yeah, and it was uh when life stories came out and i i and one of my questions to you which is always really kind of resonated with me and it's it's i don't know your response to it has always really stuck with me and i've always loved your answer to it and it has impacted it's always reframed how i listen to your music uh, oh, okay. my my question to you at that time was how does your music translate from the studio to the stage and you wrote "Ha ha." the better question is how does it translate from the stage to the studio And I always loved that answer because I think, you know, listening to to wild card music, there's a real vibrancy about it, which you can always now, you know, you can always imagine, oh, if you listen to something, uh, a studio recording, you think, oh, wow, live, this would be amazing. But to almost reframe it and think, no, this came from live, you know, this was honed on the live stage. Is that a good place to kind of workshop you know songs because you're able to perform as frequently as you do
1: uh, absolutely you you just i don't even have to answer actually it's like you, it's, you summarize like a, what i would tell you in, a, in an answer in a nutshell it's like yes um you can use that as workshop or trial or um or evolve like tunes everyone on stage as well because i'm not a, again people are different there's no right or wrong way to do things mm. honestly mm. but the way i tunes is like i need a groove more importantly, I need a melody that 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 you can sing, uh, so that otherwise it's not a melody, and um, and then from there there's a tune. That's simple. So usually my my music is written over most of the time one page maximum sheets because I don't want it to become a um, a reading gig as we say, mm-hmm. uh, because it's the, the the that's not the same. Uh, sometimes too during the lockdown, that's what I was um, the points I was putting um, explaining earlier on. It's like uh, the music has has become a bit more challenging and a bit more. Um, Complicated is not the word, but uh, a bit more like um, written because really the right. two because we couldn't play so much on that ambulation um, when we play uh, on each other. But yeah, no, you're right. It's like the the tools are written uh, in a live for for um, thinking of a live uh, environment, mm. and then and then it's being put in the studio, not the other way around. Um, so in that case it has been the for future it has been the other way around which is uh, which is interesting actually I didn't think of that you're right mm-hmm. but most of the times like, I give you another I'm gonna give you another question now uh, <laughs> to, to, to ask to ask yourself or to ask me or to ask somebody else but it's like what is your take on live stream for example that's the, that's really related to the question you just asked me with like uh, does the music needs to be written for live perspective first order or for a, for a studio uh, album? That's the same with live stream. Mm. It's like, I think it's um, I think it's a complete um, what's the word in English, um, uh, antinomic, two things that don't go together. Right,
3: right, right. It's yeah. Like
1: trying to live stream is trying to uh, to em, uh, again to um, emulate and create a live environment on a screen sixteen nine, like the screen I have been following me. I think it's like a, 15, seventeen inches. I mean, anyway, so I'm not, a sc- mm. I don't like screens, but anyway, how do you do that? And I remember the big debate at the end again at the end of those lockdowns was like. Do you think the live stream, I don't know if you remember that, but at least in the industry, lots of people were asking, do you think the live stream will change the way we listen to music? Will it kill live music? Well, duh, no, because it's not the same thing. Anybody who's been in a, in a club, whatever is the style of music, again, whether it's jazz, whether it's rock, especially rock, actually, um, pop, funk, ska, whatever, classical music, when you know, go and see an opera or symphonic orchestra and then sit down and listen to, to it in your lounge, I mean, that's, that's night and day. Mm. You can't replace it, and I think that's a bit the same with the studio and um, and the live. It's like um, you can try to emulate something good, but uh, that's that's that will never be the live music experience you can uh, you can have, especially with good musicians. You
3: know that I I one hundred percent actually I ninety nine point nine <laughs> percent agree with you. I I couldn't dispute anything, but the one the one thing I can say is, I have a, a friends of mine in uh, New York. They're a they're a jazz improvisational band. And during uh, all the lockdown that was happening in New York and here, uh, they did a live performance, I think, um, at Shapeshifter, uh, which is a venue in uh, uh, New York. And they did a live venue there. So not a single person in attendance. Um, There's no audience there at all. It was literally them on there on that stage and any people there were there to you know facilitate the recording and and things like that and i tuned in i, I think um, I, I, I tuned into it live i i, I paid the, the fee and it was um it's about midnight in the UK that it started, and you're, I couldn't dispute anything that you've you've said. You are hundred percent right. The energy that we as the audience get from you and is is you know the same as you get from your your a bad crowd will probably influence how you play. Sometimes you're like, oh no, we're not really. You know, it's a connection between the two
1: people on on the yeah, stage. No, and you and have, you have to, absolutely, you have to play the crowd. Yes, absolutely. and
3: yeah. but you know, tuning in live at midnight you know, to, to them. And you knew it was happening at that point in a weird way, there was an intimacy to it, almost like they are playing for you. Do you know what I mean? If you were watching them in front of a crowd of people, then you would just feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm missing out. But the fact that they were playing live and there were obviously lots of people tuned in from around the world really. And it's, it's, it's very bizarre, but just in that quarantine period, there was a strange intimacy about it. Does that make sense?
1: yeah yeah I've heard that before um I mean you you're talking about the the the, the, the audience who feels like a, quite special because they're, yeah. you know they are here at midnight and that, that's a very specific um case in that case okay right fair enough mm. um what I've experienced is like what many musicians in New York as well have experienced, which is like I don't I think I think if I remember right I think I've done four or five four I can remember of four um live streams, two at the 606 Club with wild card. Right. And two with a uh, with good friend of mine. One for, one for that was for Valentine's Day, and one for um, I can't remember. It might have been I can't remember which one it was, but there was like a, more of a play standouts and have, have, have fun friend with friends, uh, good friend, musician friends. Uh, that was Johnny G. If I remember, Peter Savison, I, I think it was Joby on piano. Yeah. And anyway, so in in every case, especially the one at the Six or Six, the Six or Six Club. I mean, I don't know if you are familiar with that venue. Uh, uh yes uh, just uh, yes i am yeah. yeah i did some stuff for the research actually yeah it's, like a, it's it's a great club it's like yeah. um I think it 100 capacity basement jazz club always super vibey usually well attended and twice being playing in front of walls the second time we played, even the even the, the video people whether we need to remotely believe it or not they were like in surrey sometime somewhere so we didn't we didn't even have some uh, some camera operator so that was playing to nothing you have nothing back from your yes. Back from the audience is is very underrated, and that's the first time I ever done. It's not even playing in a studio, um, uh, real 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 soul studio, which you know what the deal is. When you play a gig like that, you have to build an atmosphere, you have to build some solo, you have to build. A, a show even mm. and you're talking to a light like a uh, far away in the um, a red light that's the red light syndrome as as we call it almost mm. like, but there's no feedback that's ah, that, that must sense. be horrible i i understand yeah, from,
3: from your point i totally understand yeah. that yeah it's
1: really unnatural. and i, I had the discussion with so many musicians all the ones who've done this live stream again it's like uh, when there was nothing else going on that's better than nothing that was an income from the, and there was also a way to be out there and to uh, to have your name out there to put your music out there but it's like uh, giving the choice nobody would choose i mean i remember like steve gave me like the the second um, second um, live stream we've done that he did it the week before everything reopened i was begging him i was like steve please <laughs> Give us a gig when everything is reopened. He was like, oh, listen, you know what? I need to fill the gap. I would like you to do it. I, I think it was fair. Like he gave us another gig after that, like two months after, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I was literally begging him. I was like, Steve, don't give us a live stream again. He was like, yeah, please. <laughs> uh, I did not want
2: to
1: do it again. I do not. Yeah, no, I, I completely
3: understand. That would be two completely different processes. It would be like a stand-up comedian doing a live stream. How terrible would that be?
1: Exactly, <laughs> but that, that's not that dissimilar. It's really yeah. simple very good analogy i love comedy now i go to comedy clubs all the time right. i love it I, I, I wish i was that funny <laughs> and that the point is playing especially a jazz gig when you have that kind of interaction that that's uh, banter i mean i love banter. i mean yeah. i love the banter with the with the crowd but also like uh, the music the band and the music with the crowd is very similar to a comedy show it's like throwing a joke hoping hoping that um, people will react I know that some, uh, I spoke actually with a comedian, uh, I have a couple of friends who are comedian, and um, that's really interesting what you just said, because one of them was explaining to me, he did one of those like a DVD type, um, with a show, they were saying you can do that when you run when you did run a, um, a show on tour or for a while, because you know exactly what reaction people will get from your mm. facial expression, but it has to be really well tried out. Uh, you can't do that with a jazz gig, because each, each, each time you play the tune will we, we come up differently.
3: Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. It's completely different processes. As I said, like for me, watching that, that gig in that time live, that there was an intimacy to it. But for them, I don't imagine they enjoyed it. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, just as course, you
1: say. People are different. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's all very, not very positive. We keep talking about those lockdowns. It was far away. Now it's gone. Yes.
3: We
2: are.
1: In, the, in the real world, where people can go out and see live music and shows. And that's the way. Yeah.
3: Wonderful. Um, apart from your um, uh, Cabinet Nineteen Fever, your wonderful album, which is you know okay. uh, a, a, a really incredible uh, uh, effort, it also marks uh, in many ways your long-standing relationship with uh, Sophie Alloway, as we briefly mentioned on drums and Andrew Noble, your organist. I mean, you guys have exceeded more than ten years as a performing and recording unit. So, congratulations! Um, okay. Where did you guys uh, initially meet and connect?
1: Um, that is a very good question, and I can answer straight away because it's been asked um, by somebody else. Uh, I think that was like um, last month. Anyway, so that was on the the eleventh of July, two thousand and eleven. Wow, um, very specific. Say, yeah, that is very precise because I to go back to it. And uh, actually, one, of, I think it might have been like um, either Facebook or Instagram. Something something was posted like a, as a memory, and uh, I remember very vividly that day. Basically, we had a um, a residency. Actually, I had a few at the time um, in in a pub called the um, Dignity in Finchley, in London, Northwest London, and um, that was a monthly one. And I remember thinking, like, uh, I was playing like all sorts of um, outfits, and I was like, I really fancy trying that uh, organ trio outfit. So I played with all the organists, all the drummers, and um, one day, like on the recommendation of someone, um, anyway. So Sophie Alway and, Allaway, uh, Sophie and uh, Andrew Noble came, came about. We did a gig together and it clicked. You know, sometimes it happens. It's like um, same taste, same groove, same ideas. And um, there you go. So that was the first gig. And that was the beginning of a, a long, long adventure, which I hope is not about to finish. Hmm.
3: Amazing. Uh, what, what, when you guys kind of clicked, at what point does the idea of of making it official, is that something that happens often or is it a case of, you know, you just you carried on in this unit for a while and then said, Hey, you know, let's let's go steady.
1: <laughs> well, you know, in all fairness, one of the reasons it lasted for so long and, and I think it might last for, for even longer, is because it's it's um so there's the three of us, right? Um, I have rules like I don't build a gig uh, wild wildcard if I don't have two out of three. Right. Uh, regularly either Andy or Sophie can't do it. I mean I have to be able to do it to, to do it uh the gig um the other thing is it's it's kind of a i don't know say, I, I would say i would say like it's not really um a complete like it's not a band it's not a band um a traditional band medical uh, letter uh, band setup. we don't see it and write tunes together and decide of everything together mm. Um i'm the band leader and i'm basically i'm finding the gigs um organizing most of the stuff and um yeah, and they're happy to go along with that. And I'm really, definitely there are some really great, important creative input from Sophie and Andy because it's very important and they do stuff much better than I will do in many, um, in many, uh, areas. But, uh, at the end of the day, in terms of uh, the finances and, um, and, uh, basically carrying the, carrying the project, like organizing the, the recording and all of that, usually it's down to me. So in, in other words, the reason why it lasts for so long is because it's not too much of a democracy. I call that a gentle dictatorship, right. as in, like, everybody's asked. Obviously, I can't force them to do anything. But um, it's, um, yeah, there's always, um, there's always some, as uh, you say, that a level of uh, responsibility, which is, um, which is down on me. It, uh, most bands that have been lasting for, for a long time, usually, are, is down, be- down to one band leader who's basically, at the end of the day, has to take the decisions and have the final words. And that's how it works, and that's why it can work for a long time. Mm-hmm. After it's up to the band leader to be flexible and intelligent enough to to take the um, to take on board all the advice, especially from uh, Sophie and Andy, which I do. The advice, whether it's creative or um, or in the production, but after that, somebody has to call the shots and say whether or not they want to carry on with an idea or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think about pop band, for example, so many pop bands, even really good ones, it's always the same story. They are always. Uh, stopping playing together because there's a disagreement, whether it's artistic or money-wise or time-wise or strategically. There's always a disagreement, the fallout, and there you go, the the band is over. And I can we can name like dozens of them, like pop bands, rock bands. They all. The thing is, like um, we all session musicians, so it's a bit more professional in the approach of yeah. Um, anything.
3: Yeah. Not in in any way, not in any way to uh, in, to input any dissension or anything. But do you ever consider like a, a clement, like a, a separate project where you kind of uh, work with new like people obviously i know wildcard affords you this amazing opportunity to work with you know beyond just uh sophie and andy and it's a very expansive kind of collective that you kind of amass for each project but do you ever kind of consider you know the clement
1: reggio trio or anything like that it, it, absolutely and i do i mean it's not something i'm thinking of something i'm doing like um right now i mean um there's a um, play also like uh, with um more and more now i started doing that actually like uh, just before lockdown it's like in a guitar duo format um i love this it's completely different music and completely different way of playing so for example i'm doing i've been doing quite a few like uh, including a run is with uh with my friend uh guitarist i play also with Gianluca corona and the next one i have is with rosie fratatella i don't know if you know her yes, yes amazing happy. guitarist yeah yeah, wonderful yeah uh, a it. duo upstairs At one is on uh what is it 19th the 19th of january and, uh, so that's one project um I have, i'm starting another one which is not an organ trio but it's a trio as well um monty 688 with jamie murray great driver oh brilliant uh, it's probably one of the the, the most in-demand drummer in the UK at the moment, and a good friend of mine, incredible pianist uh, and bassist uh, Phil Merriman. Uh, so we are gonna trial that uh, at Oliver's in Greenwich on the I think it's the 20th on Friday at Oliver's. Uh, so now there's definitely lots, and, and also other people still call me for for gigs on guitar, which are not wildcard-related. So wildcard mm-hmm. is taking a lot of my time. In all fairness, that's what I make the most noise about. But mm-hmm. so now there's lots of uh, other projects going on, of course. Wonderful
3: amazing um i've i've taken up too much of your precious weekend time um i'm i'm so grateful that we were um m- able to connect and kind of just to kind of gain your your knowledge and your insight on on your music and the new album i'm I'm very very excited by the new project it's a really wonderful album so congratulations to to you all um and um yeah i really look forward to to, to reading about much 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 continued success for you guys
1: I'm sure we'll be in touch and thank you for your continual support. Thank you for inviting me to uh, to chat with you today. That was very interesting as usual and um but thank you very much Imran and um yeah long live uh, long live blue and blue radio and on the podcast that's fantastic thank, thank you very you much. So much
3: before I let you go so I mentioned about a closing song uh that we would just we would uh kind of send listeners home happy with and as act as a great introduction to uh to your wonderful record and and I know you you mentioned a couple in your uh we discussed it beforehand but it is yes what may I ask if if there was a specific song you'd you'd like to just sort of I know we've actually mentioned a few of your uh your picks already I know definitely maybe. Be a Lippo Express. Yeah, uh, is, is there a particular one you like to send listeners home happy with?
1: The, the, the one I'm I'm the most proud about. Not the one I prefer because there's lots of great, of fans of great <laughs> I'm speaking about my tunes, so it sounds very pompous. I mean, <laughs> lots of tunes, I'm really up, I'm really up, up happy about the the outcome, uh, the, the results. But the one which I think is the most like um, um, emotionally charged. A uh, quick story. If, if you have like a uh, twenty seconds Please, for me. to Yes. Watch it is Aleppo Express and I always explain that story a bit a bit at length, maybe sometimes, but uh, The life is always important to explain. It's like I went for um, I that was in between two lockdowns, the first and second lockdown, I went to my um, hairdresser, which is in my area, and uh, that's a, a Syrian uh, guy, Max, uh, who who owns the, the 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 the, the salon. And suddenly there was a young guy who actually was here, instead of uh, Max, like to do an uh, haircut, uh, Max was busy. So he started doing my haircut, and that young guy was like, I think was 21, something like that. And um, as we're talking, he, he speaks with, um, with a very strong accent, and uh, I have a very strong accent myself, so I'm not making fun, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to say like an accent like you could hear he's been in the UK uh, only only for uh, a short period of time. So I've asked him where he was from, and he told me he was from uh, Syria. And I was like, oh, when did you arrive? So he explained that he arrived like uh, a year before. <laughs> and at the time, I was like, oh, okay. So that was right in the middle of... Um, all was happening like yeah. uh, in Aleppo and, uh, and Syria and uh I said to him so how did you come here so he explained that basically he came like um illegally like uh with some uh you know basically he's that sent him a bit of money and he, and he managed to come from Syria to uh, to the UK and he was like well you don't want to hear about that and then he ex- I said no you're joking I want to hear about it so he told me the story so my haircuts we, we usually last 15 minutes lasted nearly an hour you could tell he was, he was happy to tell me the story about wow. it to, he explained to me how he went like um, to Turkey. yeah had to um, to to be careful with the army. And then he went to uh, to Greece, and then he, he with uh, with uh, the, the, the the nasty people who actually uh, get like uh, some um, some illegal people to to other countries. He got to Italy. He got to Italy. He got to, he got in jail at nineteen, knowing that he doesn't speak the language. He just speaks Arabic, uh, no Italian, French, or English. And then he got in jail, and then got out, and managed to um, to get lost in the, in Germany. Then he got in France. Then he got in Calais, the jungle managed to take a um a, he said to me that was really easy to take a uh, a lorry to jump onto a lorry I was oh wow I thought it was really difficult she was like yeah it was really easy the problem is that I realized like 400 kilometers too late that uh, I jumped into a lorry and was going in the wrong direction <laughs> so I mean we're laughing but that must have been terrible anyway so the point is kind of like that that movie has that uh, story has moved me so much and that was such a great kid he's working he's really hard he's a really good kid um nice legal so everything is fine so uh, anyway everything is sorted but that that really moved me that story and um uh, just reminded me how lucky most of us are uh i don't have to think about like um, going you know through crossing seven seven countries uh, you know with a language i don't know and very little money and with people that i've never met um so that ends the Aleppo express i would say that one is probably like the most um yeah emotionally charged and a meaningful tune of uh, the album
3: wonderful that's such a great story my gosh wow do you still I see him? That's Marcus Strickland. Um, <laughs> he Marcus, was like, yes. And this yes, right. Marcus Strickland is on uh, it as well, yes. He <laughs> great,
1: right, so yeah, absolutely. Amazing. And you still see him, you said? No, we, no, we recorded two uh, tracks on that album. Oh, yeah, um, no, I said, I've never yeah. met him, that's why I said I've never met him. I would love no, to. no. I uh, beg your uh, pardon, the, the hairdresser, I mean. Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, Marcus, I'm like, yeah, I have a coffee with him every Thursday morning, I'm <laughs> joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he does my hair, he's still here, he does my hair every every month or every other month, whatever. Uh, whether i decide to look like a hippie or not um but yeah, you know usually i see him, I see him regularly he's good His english is much better now he's happy you know he's working And as i say he's really he's a good working
3: brilliant it's great
1: so um, that was yeah that was the story of the approach oh, wow.
3: yeah. wonderful thank you so much that's such a great story that's brilliant mm-hmm.